Welcome to the FMU podcast, where curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought it back. I'm your story guide, Cassidy. And I'm the story attendee, Jake, who also happens to be her husband. And thank you for giving our very first episode a shot. We hope you love it and stick around. First and foremost, as we're sure you can tell by our name, this podcast is fully explicit and we'll be covering an especially gnarly case. So please check the episode notes for trigger warnings and proceed with caution. Pulling the trigger now. Go, Captain. So today I'm going to tell you about an unfathomable case. Part of me hopes that you know about this one because it should have way more coverage than it does. But a selfish part of me also hopes that you don't so that I can give you what was given to me the first time I heard it. This is the unbelievable survival story of Mary Vincent, and it fucked me up. Spoiler alert, first of all. I did say this is the survival story of Mary Vincent. She tells this story herself on I Survived, that is season three, episode one. So the majority of the information that I took is directly from her mouth. So Mary grew up in a house of seven children. Damn. Her parents lived in Las Vegas, Nevada, and she was the middle child. Now, I have heard from people who are one of three siblings, and typically the trend is that the middle child tends to be overlooked or at least feel that way, kind of like they don't fit in. This is because the oldest child was their parents first, so there's obviously a very special place there. They also kind of naturally take on some responsibilities that give them power over the others because they're the oldest and trusted by the parents. Then the youngest is the baby. They're more coddled and they get away with more. They have the least amount of responsibility among the family. So that leaves the middle child feeling kind of out of place and not a priority compared to the older and younger sibling on either side of them. Now imagine you have three younger siblings and three older siblings. I would bet money that Mary was already feeling misunderstood and wasn't getting the individual attention from both parents that all children need. Her parents were hard workers. Her dad was a mechanic and her mom was a blackjack dealer, both trying to live the American dream with seven kids to take care of and full-time jobs. It was not easy. Needless to say, there was some stress on the family. Unfortunately, this takes a toll, and Mary learns that her parents are divorcing. So, like, let's just add layers onto the feelings there. She already has six siblings. Now her parents are divorcing. Now, how the heck are they going to decide who goes where, and who goes with mom, and who goes with dad? That sounds just like a mess to have to live in that situation. I mean, I'm a child of divorce. And that was messy enough. That was just me. So, like, I know how parents can act towards each other and how everything gets emotionally draining and frustrating. One day, she's at home. Her sister calls her. And she says, hey, dude, heads up. Dad is on his way home, and he is pissed at you. So take with that information and do what you will with it. So... Mary knows, like, this is bad. Like, if my sister's calling me to give me the heads up that I need to get the fuck out of the house, he has to be bad. And I don't know if he just had a temper, because I didn't see anything about him being, like, physically abusive. But it sucks being yelled at by your parents, regardless of what's happening. So she's like, all right, heard. So she pieces out. 
she heads to towards Modesto, California. She runs away from home. Ironically, she says, I left home to save my life. She was feeling like she was in a toxic situation. She was feeling like she couldn't support herself, let alone the emotional needs of everybody around her. And she basically, she's like, I need to get out of here. I need to clear my head. I need space. So a span of months goes by and she lives place to place. Some say that she goes to her grandfather's or her uncle's houses in California at this time, uh, but it's not super clear where she goes or what she does. Um, pretty much she's, you know, hopping around, living in cars when she can, uh, finding places to stay when she can. But at the end of the day, she's exhausted. She never feels totally safe to let her guard down. She you know, has to find food. She has to, you know, completely fend for herself. So we hit September 29th of 1978. In this time period, hitchhiking is huge. So that is also something to keep in mind that like it was completely normal back then. We also had a huge spike in murders and disappearances, especially in that area of the United States at this time. But it wasn't... That's when Dahmer got his first victim, too, was in the 70s. And it was a hitchhiker. Right, and that's just him. You know what I mean? Like, the amount of, of serial killers, of one-off murders, of, you know, sex worker murders, that, that they were never looked into because they weren't worth it, quote, to the cops to look after. So, like, the amount of death that came from the hitchhiking wasn't realized at the time, but, like, Hindsight is twenty twenty, So she decides, okay, I've had enough. I just need to go home. I need to go be with my family again. They're dealing with stuff. I'm dealing with the same stuff, but now I'm out here trying to live on my own. So I just have to get home. I, it's, I'm going to feel better once I can sleep in a safe bed and I'll just take it day by day. So she decides she's going to head back from where she is in California to Nevada. Her only way to get there is how she got out there in the first place, by hitchhiking. So what she does is she makes her little sign. It says she's going south. And she stands on the side of the road. And generally, they would kind of at like a slow pace walk the direction that they're already trying to go in. So they're walking with traffic down the road. And she's walking with two other hitchhikers, at least two other hitchhikers, that are going the same direction as her. Okay. They all have signs going south. They're kind of just hanging out and chatting as they're waiting to see if a car or truck will pick them up. After some time, a blue van pulls up next to them and inquires. It's not white, so they got to be trustworthy. (laughs) If only that were true. So this blue van pulls up, and the old man inside inquires, you know, where are you guys going? What's up? And they say, oh, yeah, we're we're all trying to go south. And even though this van was completely empty, the guy goes, oh, okay, yeah, I can take you south. Just you, though. Yeah. Referring to Mary. Interesting. Not trustworthy. Red flags. Right. So the other hitchhikers are, like, immediately advising against this. They're like, dude, 
think about it. Somebody else will take us all. And then it's like survival in numbers. Like we'll be safer together. Yeah. If he's only willing to take the female out of the group, that's just bad news. That's not, you really should not get in this car. And she's like, guys, look, he looks like a grandfather. Like he's, I don't, I don't think he's going to, he's not going to hurt me. It's I'm going to be fine. She said, she's like so tired. She's so desperate to get home. She just takes the risk and she gets in the van. She herself says, I could not live another day out alone. So that just kind of gives you an idea of how and she was 15 and she's 15. That's every time I go through the story. I keep coming back to that one point. If I, when I was 15, like I can't even imagine being in this situation and trying to make a, a good decision. Like you should see some of my freaking AIM screen names. Like <laughs> I couldn't make decisions like this at 15. It's just not, it's, it wasn't possible. So she, I mean, she weighs her options. She's like, you know what? I can't like, I have to get home or like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to fall over. I got it. I got to risk it. Thanks. Thanks guys. You know, good luck getting South, whatever. And she, she really believes it. She's like, this guy looks like my grandpa. Like he's not going to do anything. I don't, I don't, I'll just keep my guard up a little bit. I don't have to be totally worried about him. So this man is Lawrence or Larry Singleton. We do not like Lawrence Singleton. Heads up. <laughs> so as they start driving, she dozes off. She's again, she's she's exhausted. She also let's talk about the fact that she's in California. It's hot as hell. So like she's standing out all day in the freaking heat. Of course she's gonna fall asleep while she's while she, as soon as she gets in a comfy, cool van. Yeah, of course. It makes sense. So she because she's out in Vegas, right? She's headed back to Vegas at this point. She's in, um, she's in like near Modesto, California. It's pre-global warming. It's probably not. <laughs> so she dozes off, and at some point, a a few few hours later, she wakes up and she sees the signs, and the signs are not going south. So immediately, she's like, "Excuse me, excuse me, sir." Uh, that's not okay. We're going south. These signs, you are not taking me south right now. What's going on? And in a couple of accounts, I saw that she even had like a, a ruler or like a pointy stick that she found in the bottom of his van. And she kind of pointed it at him like, like, you know, defending herself. Cause she's like, dude, this, you're creep. You're, you're making me nervous now. So she kind of like holds it out to him. and. And he's like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I am. I'm an honest man. And I made an honest mistake. I'm I, I apologize. He turns the van around and he starts heading south again. So she's like, OK, OK, you know what? People are allowed to make mistakes. It's OK. It's all right. You know, maybe he took a wrong turn because he is taking me, you know, with him. So maybe he maybe he wasn't originally going south. Maybe he's just being a good guy. I don't know. So. They're going in the correct direction again, which is a positive. Mary can breathe again. She's relaxing. And he, at one point, a few hours later, he says, you know, I have to use the bathroom. So he pulls his van over 
into like what seems like kind of just on the side of like a dusty road is I was picturing it kind of like a deserty like road um a part that's not super popular there aren't cars driving by this area or anything um so he gets out of the van to go relieve himself and then she thinks he could just be going out to take a piss but I'm not feeling comfy about this. So she looks down and she sees her shoes untied at this point. And she's like, okay, if worst comes to worst, I need to be able to outrun this guy. I know I can outrun this guy. He's old. I can outrun him, but I can't if my shoe's untied. I'm going to fucking, I'm going to eat it. So while he is around the other side of the van going to the bathroom, she quick gets out of the van. And she stands next to it, and she's tying her shoe quick. As she's leaned down, and she's tying her shoe, all of a sudden, she blacks out. She got knocked the fuck out. She blacks out because Larry hits her over the back of the head with a sledgehammer. That'll do it. Yep. Do it. When she finally comes to, she's she's tied up in the back of the van. Oh, okay. I forgot she made it for a second. Yeah, and that's, I can't tell you how many times that you need to remind yourself, this woman is telling her story. So, like, it, it, she, her, this survival is, is completely. So, Mary Benson's the original story guy. Unbelievable. You're just riding in her coattails. <laughs> yes. How dare you. All hail Mary. Um, so, this, but this part is not funny. So, I'm going to take it back down. She is tied up in the back of the van when she finally comes to, she sees stars, realize, like, fuck, I am tied up in the back of this fucking van. Over the next course of time the van stays parked on this kind of deserted section of road and he begins raping her as this is happening she is pretty much begging because physically she can't move she's begging him to stop she's saying please set me free let me go i won't tell anybody like just let me just let me live let me get out of here and the whole time this is happening, he's completely silent. He's just doing what he's doing. He's completely ignoring her. This happens over and over again. She recalls at least six different times. So then as she's laying in the back of this van, she's still tied up. She's completely nude. She's bleeding. Just let's remember she was hit over the head with a sledgehammer so she's at least bleeding from her head probably has a skull fracture so she's gonna bleed a good bit and if he's physically hurting her on other parts of her body she's bleeding she's sore you know there's just you wonder how this could get worse let me tell you so he falls asleep until the next morning and over the evening, she can't escape again because she's tied up. And she says it is the worst feeling that she's ever felt. And she was just thinking, like, 
please God, just, just kill me, kill me now. She wanted to die. She's just, she doesn't know how this could possibly get any worse. She doesn't know how she's going to survive this. So she's just like, take me out. Let me go. You know, it'll be, it'll be easier if I don't make it through this situation. So when he wakes up, he does something completely different than what she expects him to do. At this point, they're off of Interstate 5 in the Del Puerto Canyon. He pulls her out of the van, again, completely naked, already bleeding. Again, she's begging. She's, she's I, you know, I want to be set free. Please set me free. Please, I won't tell anybody. Just just let me go. And, and you'll never see me or hear from me again. And, you know, it'll just it'll just that'll just be what it is and i did make an assumption here that he untied her restraints um because of the next part but it is unclear exactly how she was tied up whether it was only her arms her wrists or it was her wrists and her feet um but at this point he pulls her out of the van she's standing so i assume that at least her feet were untied now, he says, you want to be set free? I'll set you free. Yeah. And he reaches into the van, and he pulls out a hatchet. Oh, okay. As they're, as they're standing there on what is pretty much like a ledge of a cliff, 30-foot cliff, he grabs her left arm, and takes a swing at it as as soon as she saw that hatchet she started fighting him so she is grabbing him she's trying to she's trying to hurt him back so she's like you know like when you were a kid you just grab somebody and like as hard as you possibly could you'd like try to get your nails into their skin and like squeeze She's doing that. She's holding on to him. She's kicking and screaming, hoping that there's possibly someone in the vicinity to hear her. After this one swing, she's losing her balance because she's fighting him. She's not letting him do this to her. She's grabbing him as tight as she can, assuming that if we're super close to each other, he can't keep, like, loosely using his arm to, like, hit me with this hatchet. Because I'm holding him so tight to myself. Yeah. After, after he hits her the initial time with the hatchet, he takes a second swing. And she starts to fall over. And she's, she's mentally not understanding why she's falling because she's holding on to this man so tight. Maybe it's just her balance, but she's, you know, she's, she's fighting. Now, she can feel a sharp burning heat flowing oh, out of her arm. That's an arterial Where she dude. mentally is like, I just watched this man hit me in the arm with a hatchet. I, I know that I'm injured. Yep. So... She says, there's literally nothing but blood spraying everywhere. 
when she finally looks down, she realizes that she no longer has her left arm. So from just below the elbow, Lawrence has cut off her left arm. Is it from like elbow down or like top? Just just below the elbow. So she still has her elbow joint. It's just below that. So after he severs her left arm off, he grabs a hold of her right arm. And she knows this is holding her up now. She knows she lost her left arm. She's being held up by her right arm at this point. So she's holding on to him still. She's still kicking and screaming. This time, it takes him multiple chops. Okay. And he is just hacking at her other arm. Finally, again, she falls. (sighs) She lays there on the ground, bleeding profusely. Not in the mental state to realize how how extensive her injuries are. He just severed both of her. Well, the thing is, right. So, so she knows she lost her left arm, and she knows her right arm is in bad shape. She looks up at him, and she sees him doing a weird movement with his arm, and he's like kind of flailing it out, like to the sides, and she focuses a little bit. And that's when she realizes that he also cut off her right arm. And he was doing that movement because her right arm was still attached to him. Yep, it stayed holding on. Because the muscles in her hand the calcium were holding on to him so hard. That's great. That's great. That he had to fling her right arm off of him. This isn't funny, but it's like the scene from Evil Dead. So, what happened? This is like a real human. She lives. Guys, remember this. She lives. So, after she realizes that, she's like, I'm as good as dead right now. Like, I do not know how the fuck I'm still conscious. So, she. She shouldn't be. Right? So she's laying there on the ground, not moving. She thinks, okay, I might be safest if he thinks I'm already dead. So he comes over and he grabs her and he starts dragging her toward the edge of the cliff. She thinks that he thinks she's already dead. So as she's laying there, not moving, he heaves her over a 30-foot cliff, which is the equivalent of a three-story building. Okay. Which is exactly why the other day when you asked how tall our house was, <laughs> I knew that te- about 10 feet is the story. When she hits well, the ground... My questions make you think of a malicious intent <laughs> and assault victims with... Bilateral amputations of their arms. It's fantastic. Continue. When she hits the ground and on the way down, because this isn't straight down as far as I understand. It's like um, 
it's like a hill. It's steep, but it's it's not like straight up and down. So she's tumbling. She breaks four ribs, which I didn't I didn't know. And this might be dumb on my part, but I didn't know how many ribs you actually have. So it's 12. 12 is your full number of ribs. So she breaks a third of her ribs all at once. She also has a massive head wound. She's also been raped repeatedly. And both of her fucking arms are gone. What's even fucking worse is if she broke her ribs for long. It could have been punctured or she could have dropped a lung. Oh, God. Right, and that's something that they don't even mention that she could have dropped a lot later blood, on. But at the same time, she's not going to have enough fucking blood to... Okay, continue. Well, here's the thing, because I, I, I'll come back to that too, that amount of blood, okay? Because you best believe I have that. So, she's laying at the bottom of this culvert, and she doesn't know if he drove off, or if he's standing up there, watching her, and waiting to see if she moves. So she knows, again, her best... She, it seems like she's going back and forth between, God, just fucking, just take me. Like, I, what, what she's in like, the oh, hell is happening? preservation to just fuck it. Yes. So, yes, so she's completely giving up. She's, God, just take me out now. I just want to die. I can't handle this anymore. To the other extreme that it's like, such such wherewithal to think about some of the things that she considers in this process where she is saying, okay, I am in more pain than most people will experience in their entire lifetime put together, but I'm going to lay here and I'm going to pretend to be dead so that that man up there walks away and I can decide what I do next. So that's what she does. She's laying at the bottom of the culvert. She's actively bleeding to death. She has at least three different open wounds to, like, the elements. That doesn't include any other external or internal injuries she might have had just from all of the shit that has happened to her in the last 24 hours. At this point, she says she gets so sleepy and so cold. And she's laying there, and she's like, did he leave? Did he not leave? Is he waiting? All she wants to do is go to sleep. She's like, I just I just need to go to sleep, and what happens is going to be whatever happens. Yeah. And at this point, she said she hears a voice in her head saying, you can't go to sleep. If you go to sleep, he's going to do this to somebody else. Oh, boy. So this, again, this woman is now fighting for her own life to protect some other person in the future? Like, you don't, people like that aren't plentiful. No. So the next thing she does as she's like, okay, I gotta live. I can't let this guy do this to somebody else. She's like, okay. I have to stop this bleeding. I have to I have to figure something out to at least get myself to a point where where I'm I'm functioning. So she does something that I don't think I would ever consider in a million years if all four of my fucking limbs were chopped off. 
She gonna dunk them in the dirt. She starts to mix her blood and the dirt into a paste. And then she takes what is left of her arms and is lit she's literally packing her wounds because she knows that if she's packing her wounds, that it will stop at least some of the bleeding. <laughs> so she does this, and then this bad bitch crawls back up the fucking cliff that, remember, is 30 feet high. How, how steep of an embankment are we talking here? Is it like a, a roll down I don't, thing? Because like she has to climb, climb, and she's using stumps. Like Right. I don't know. Fuck. But I was assuming it was manageable to a certain extent. I was I was thinking like forty five degrees at the most. It's still pretty steep. Because ninety she wouldn't have been able to get back up that. No, no, fuck no. She wouldn't need hands to get up there. She and anything, anything less than 45 degrees, he wouldn't have really been able to, like, throw her down. No. So I'm thinking between 45, maybe 60 degrees. Yeah, something that cool. I would be out of, something that I would be out of breath climbing up just as person with all of my limbs. That's overweight. So... She crawls back up this cliff. And remember that when all this happened, it was about to be daylight because he slept through the night after he raped her. He slept through to the next morning. So it's the morning when he cuts her arms off and throws her down the culvert. By the time she gets to the top of the cliff, it's nighttime again. So it just took her a full sun cycle to get back to the top. This is when I start questioning like how do you, how long can you live with such extreme blood loss? Um it's like do, it if you don't have depends. an answer it's cool. Like I know that like your I mental mean, state and your endorphins like, seen, and adrenaline i've seen people like throw up a liter of blood at work i mean and they still fucking pass out but with her getting both i mean you have your brachiocephalic vein your brachial artery feeding your lower parts of your arms so she was losing a lot of fucking blood um and I can tell you exactly how much i just this is the point every time where i'm much, like how much blood did she she, she has survived an entire day and she's walking back up too right yes yes okay Okay. so she's massively dehydrated on top of that well that actually might have saved her ass in a weird way but continue okay let me get let me get just to the blood loss thing and then you can come back to that okay so she's she survives all day climbing back up the cliff with mud packed stumped stumps sorry and climb the entire way with massive wounds, broken ribs, and severe blood loss, like we were just saying. When she gets back to the top, she can barely see anything because it's nighttime again. 
all she can see is a little bit of outlines because of the moon and the stars, because it was a clear night. She listens and she can hear a very faint sound of traffic. That is the main highway. So she heads toward the traffic. She walks all night until it starts to get light again. And it takes her all night to get about three miles to get to that road. She said she remembers as a child when she cut her finger that her mother said to hold her hands above her head. Because if you put your hands above your head, it is harder for your blood to pump your pump up. So it moves slower, essentially. Yeah, we do that with really sick septic patients. If uh, you want to do a fluid challenge with them, you can lift their lower legs, and it mimics about a uh, 300 to 400 cc bolus. So she is actually uh, saving her ass there. So, right. So she has her hands above to her head to prevent excess blood loss and from the muscle and tissue from just falling out of her arms. And it's the nighttime in the desert, too, right? That was when she gets, she walks all night. So again, we're getting, so she's getting to 24 hours. I mean, that's also lucky too, because when it's cold, it, um, like when you do like dialysis and stuff like that, so you can, uh, make the fluid, like the, um, dialysate colder. And then once it's colder, your blood's colder, it actually makes your vessels Mm -hmm. clamp down. So it actually increases your blood pressure and prevents hypotension. Okay. That could be another factor. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe that helped. So. She gets to the road, and the first car she sees after walking in the middle of this road is a red convertible. She sees it coming. Oh boy. She sees it coming towards her. There are two men inside. As she's walking toward the vehicle, she screams for help, and they, they don't fly past her. They do not even hesitate. As they step on the gas and fly past her. She says that she looks like something from a Fright Night movie. Which oh, yeah. I can't I disagree it. with. Because she's probably still naked. Too, she right? is still naked. She is still okay. covered in more blood than I can imagine. And dirt. She's physically scraped up everywhere. She's let's like think about the fact that her hair is probably so matted. With blood and sweat and dirt, she, I can't imagine she does not actually look terrifying. But she understands that she looks terrifying, and she's just like, "All right, let's look for the next one." She doesn't even, she doesn't even like give up. She's not like, "I'm fucked." She's just, "All right, there, another car is gonna come. I gotta keep going." So they fucking take off past her, and I would love to hear from these people. Do they ever come forward? Like, I'm sure that they have passed away at this point. I I didn't hear anything about that, but and I'm sure they have passed away at this point. But I would love to hear from them. Like, what did from your point of view? Like, no no judgment for going for leaving her, but I mean, we wouldn't have because as she keeps walking down the middle of the road, a couple who are on their honeymoon and got lost. They take a wrong turn. They say this girl. They see her. And those those MVPs stop and they pick her ass up. That's literally us. 
So they get her into the car, wrap her up, and immediately are like, this is this is so past like manageable. We need to get her to the hospital yesterday. They're in this old ass truck and they're fucking moving. They finally get to a phone, like a, f- a phone booth or like a build um uh like a restaurant or something that has a phone in it and they call paramedics. So the hospital sends the helicopter to medivac her out. Oh yeah, she's a she's a class 1 trauma or whatever the fuck a level 1 trauma. When she gets into the helicopter and they can assess her situation, they realize she has lost half of the blood in her body. Okay. Now, for reference, cuz I also looked this up, <laughs> The average human adult has one and a half gallons of blood mm-hmm. in yep. their body at any given time. Because she was a female and a teenager, it's most likely to be closer to about 1.2 gallons that she had. So she was at this, at this point, speaking, she was so fucking close to sanguine. She's a, like a class four hemorrhage to where once you get past like four, like once you get past 40% of like sanguination of your like blood um supply and your circulating volume, it's your body's max comp like compensatory mm-hmm. limits are reached and mm-hmm. you were the luckiest motherfucker to make it if you make it. Yeah. And just because I'm a visual person, half of one point two gallons is at least a full two liter bottle of blood. So, like, that Coke bottle, that two liter you got in the white person fridge in the garage, fill that with blood. That's all she has in her body. That's also the amount that she's lost. Plus other different ways she's lost fluid, like sweating her ass off. Yes. And then you also have, like, um, I don't want to say permissible losses. It's just... um. You breathing, you lose like 800 to right. a liter of fluid a day. Right. But so that actually might have helped her some because if you have too much fluid, you could be hemodilutional. But I don't know. Tomato, tomato. So the other half of the blood that's still in her body was toxic. And she said they couldn't, they didn't understand why her body was still accepting it. Because of the toxicity, it's, it's, she shoved blood and old blood, mud, dirt, freaking probably rocks and shit, like all kinds of crazy shit is now in her bloodstream because she had to pack her wounds. And her body should not be accepting how toxic her blood is at this point because of how much shit has been introduced to it. But they think it literally is just because mentally she decided she had no other choice and she was desperate to live. So she finally gets to the hospital and she gets fixed up. And the first thing she does when she comes, you know, out of her much fucking needed rest after she gets to eat something, she's obviously on fluids. She's obviously all wrapped up from her injuries. The first thing she does is helps the cops 
draw a almost identical rendering of the man who attacked her. Because they came to her and they said, hey, do you know who this guy was? Do you know, do you know anything? And she's like, I can show you what that motherfucker looked like. It takes only 10 days until they have him in custody. Because her drawing was so clear. She wasn't drawing it herself. She was working with a sketch artist. It was so clear to his actual appearance that I I read in one source that literally it was like his next door neighbor was like, fuck, that's Larry. That's literally, that can't be anybody else. So they got him. Fuck you, Larry. After this, the next time that she has to face this man is in court. Oh, fuck yeah. This, let's, again, she's 15 years old. This badass decides she's gonna testify against him. She is fucking terrified to be in the same room as this man after what he just did to her. There have been dozens of cases where either, like, some part of the, you know, party has been attacked with secret knives or or people are sneaking in and having guns, planting things. I mean, again, this was in 1978, so it's like they didn't have our bomb-sniffing dogs and our processes that we do now. She's She's terrified for her life that he's going to hurt her again in front of everyone. She said when she has to get onto the witness stand, he's literally just feet away from her. And she's terrified. When it's his turn to tell them what happened, he claims that he was forced into kidnapping her after she threatened to accuse him of rape. Somehow, in the middle of this, there are also additional. I'm sorry, sir. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna also believe the girl who uh, her fucking arms has yeah. both of her fucking arms missing. I mean, because you know, you could just literally kick her out of a moving car if she's like trying to accuse you of things. You know, to chop her fucking arms. Off. Right. So he. So apparently, he's saying there's also additional people there. So what I'm assuming is that he was referring to the people that were hitchhiking with her in the first place. So he claims that he what he was basically the victim of a forced kidnapping and that there were at least two other people there who in some strange turn of events after they were threatening Lawrence that he had to do this forced kidnapping suddenly turns on they turn on Mary and then they start to torture Mary Oh, fuck off, and they're the ones who cut her arms off, and then he just like got away with his life. Like it, a pathetic attempt at whatever the fuck he was trying to do. And he's only like ten to fifteen feet away from her. The fuck. After all, everything has been said and done. He was convicted of 
kidnapping, mayhem, sodomy, forced oral copulation, first-degree rape, and attempted murder. And unfortunately, because attempted murder does not get the same treatment as actual murder, he's only convicted, he's only sentenced to 14 years in prison. 14 years. 14 years. That's the max term allowed in California at this time because it was attempted murder and not murder. Which my question is, why do they get a credit if they didn't do the fucking job correctly? If their goal was to kill this person, why do they not get the same sentence because they didn't follow through with what they were, like, what their goal was? This is something that is still a thing. Like, attempted murder and murder get different sentences. Yeah, which is stupid. Insane. She could equal. Because there's most intent behind the action. Right. So, anyway. uh, That, that's the max term. When he is done testifying, and everyone is filing out of the courthouse, Mary is forced to pass him by just a few inches with the rest of her team as everyone is filing out of the courtroom. As she passes him, he says to her in a tone that only she can hear, if it's the last thing I do, I'll finish the job. Jesus, fuck. Which to me, my first thing was, and not to say she's lying, because what the fuck would she have to possibly lie about? Like, her, this is insane. There's no reason. I, yeah, there's. she does not need to embellish this fucking story at all. But I'm just wondering, like, why, does she, why is she forced to walk past the man who tried to kill her in the first place? And wouldn't her team be, like, hyper-vigilant to make sure that he doesn't speak to her? And no one heard him threaten her life again? That part doesn't that part didn't make sense to me when I read it. It makes no fucking sense. Whatsoever. But he fucking said this to her. So she essentially lives the rest of her life with a sense of fear because she knows that this man just threatened her life and he only got 14 fucking years for what he did to her which is absolutely fucked up yeah so she does her best to move on years later she'll get married she has two kids she says motherhood gave her something to live for that's good then one day she finds that singleton has been paroled after just eight years for good behavior wait the fuck Yes. So now, as if 14 wasn't completely fucking offensive, this motherfucker got, quote, good behavior after cutting someone's limbs off and only serves eight years. fucking raping the the living hell out of them in the back. Yeah. No, okay. This is California? This is California. Fuck you. Continue. So, in 1987, he's paroled. So he's he's put on parole for a full year. Until his parole is over, then they can permanently place him, you know, 
somewhere out in the community again. But during his parole period, there are absolutely no towns anywhere close by that will allow him to live in their community. So he has to live in a trailer on the grounds of San Quentin prison until his parole is through. So like people know about him. People are like, this is not acceptable. This motherfucker's not living in my community. It's not happening. Because he's obviously a threat to society. This All is right, crazy. so at least the people of California understood, like, hey, he's a fucking yes. piece of shit. Okay, I take so back. I rescind Cal- my last statement. The judicial st- system of California. Right, fuck right, you. right, right. Yes. Towns. Okay, no. The towns no, in California for literally miles and miles around the Bay Area protested with hundreds of active protesters rejecting his permanent residence to be applied to their towns. Anytime he had to be moved, he was put in a bulletproof vest and he had armed guards transporting him place to place because there was such a high risk of him getting attacked by a protester. Not that protesters not that protesters are inherently violent, but because when somebody does something so horrible, there are obviously going to be people out there that want vigilante justice. So they literally had to protect this man, which feels so fucked up. Yeah. So that he could so that he could get another chance at life. So after his release, he refine he finally has to return to his hometown in Florida because California wants nothing to do with it. So he moves back to Florida. And during this time, Mary Vincent is the first to support a new legislation that basically prevents the early release of offen- of offenders who've committed a crime in which torture was used. Yeah, something that heinous should not be allowed to go on. Right. And like when I saw the word torture, I was like torture cuz torture to me, I automatically thought like that meant like when you injure somebody so that you get information out of them. Yeah. So I looked I looked it up and the According to departmentofjustice.gov, torture is defined as an aggravated and deliberate form of cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment. And there is a a trend, I suppose the word would be, of men picking up female hitchhikers or sex workers and you know, torturing, raping, killing them as a form of, quote, punishment because they just don't agree with their lifestyle and they believe that they're so far beneath them that, like, it's God's will to take it into their own hands to, quote, like, get rid of the problem. I wouldn't be surprised if he saw that as, I mean, he's a pedophile. She's 15, first of all. But I wouldn't be surprised if, he also thought, look at this disgusting, like, you know, girl, how stupid is she for hitchhiking? Somebody could hurt her. And then they get this weird thought in their minds that I'll teach them a lesson. Who's fucking responsible? Who gave you that responsibility? Who told you you're allowed to do that? His early release also began what would be called the Singleton Bill. And the Singleton Bill allowed the 14-year max sentence to be increased to 25 to life 
under this specific legislation. So it, okay. so essentially, after this happened with him, California's like, oh fuck, yeah, no, we 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 fucked up. We got to make that more. So they immediately kind of like, okay, this situation was bad enough that he absolutely should have gotten more than fourteen years. He actually absolutely should not have been able to be up for parole. Which I don't understand parole for such violent offenders. Now, coming back to Mary, he's out. He's free. And he made a promise to finish the job. Oh, geez. Okay. So Mary is literally haunted by this threat. She's constantly moving her family in a blind panic. Because she never knows when he's going to find her. Her story was so big that she did interviews and people took information from her. And she's all over the internet. She does her damnedest to erase every single note that she can find from the internet that might mention where she's located or where she was last located. Because she seriously thinks this man is like two steps behind her at all times. Jesus Christ. On February 19th, 1997, oh boy. <laughs> a call comes in to a Florida police station that neighbors of a specific home are in fear of a woman's life. The home in question is Singleton's home. And as the sheriff's deputy shows up to the door. Singleton opens the door covered in blood. He has now taken the life of a second woman. Wonderful. So her name was Roxanne Hayes. And he dabbed her repeatedly to death. Nine days after he was in a psychiatric facility for trying to take his own life. So that's a question. You should have to do suicide by cop after killing somebody. What a fucking dick. But I don't even know because, like, if you, like, I just don't know. Like, if your brain can go to, like, I'm going to take my own life, how does it also go to the complete opposite of, like, actually, nah, I'm going to take someone else's life? Yeah, like, but first, like, like it's a, that's fucked up. It's a fucking ass. Is he dead? So, after this, obviously he's taken into custody again, and he's taken back to court because now he's full out murdered someone. And at this point, after almost twenty years after her attack, Vincent has to decide whether she's going to testify against him again. Because the state of Florida is asking her to. They know that with her testimony against him, they're putting him behind bars for life. There is absolutely no question about it. Oh, I thought Florida had death penalty, don't they? Well, just keep getting ahead of me. Listen. I'm excited. I want to see this fucker die. So this is her, her worst fear, right? She's having so, yeah. this, ha, someone else has been injured and murdered by this man that she literally did everything in her power, emotionally, physically, mentally, to s- prevent from happening. 
So against her own kind of selfish thoughts of fear and having to literally face him again, she pushes herself to testify. So she literally testifies against him a second time. Jesus Christ. The state of Florida flies her down there to testify against him. And when she's on the stand, she doesn't allow anybody to to even question that this man is the one who did all of the like violent, unforgivable things to her in the first yeah. place. As she looks at him and she points her um prosthetic hooks directly at him and refers to him only as my attacker so that absolutely no one in that room can misunderstand that this is the man that almost killed her yeah jesus christ long story short he was sentenced to death perfect fucking bitch unfortunately oh he dies before death penalty he dies of cancer in 2001 at 74 years eh, old. What kind of cancer? I don't know. Hopefully it was pancreatic. That's the worst one. Well, yeah. And Mary wasn't necessarily relieved herself. She felt like she was robbed of the opportunity to understand such a dark soul, she called him. And she didn't get you know, she didn't get the satisfaction of someone else taking his life. He, his body ended up just fighting against him and and killing him. But what was a relief in her life was that her sons could finally breathe for the first time. Good. The amount of relief that they had just by his passing brought her closure as well because she's like finally seeing these people that she loves more than anything in the world happy and relieved and not in fear of their mother leaving them and she says that years later she thinks that she loves and appreciates life more than most people and she, she was glad that she, to now yeah she's glad that she was given another chance at life and I don't think that that, you know, phrasing is correct. I don't think that she was, like, given another chance. He made that shit happen. She didn't just, like, hope to live. She literally fought with every ounce of energy she had to live. After, at this point in her life, she is not letting anything hold her back she doesn't have the funds to update her prosthetics mm. regularly so she does like to tinker with things so she'll find old air conditioners or refrigerators she'll pull parts out of them and then she'll use them for very specific reasons like she knows how to bowl and she can play pool that's cool with Parts she's found and recycled into new things to fit her prosthetics for those specific reasons. As of 2003, she was a thriving artist. Even with her prosthetic hooks, 
she prefers to use chalk pastels and she focuses on women's empowerment as her subject matter which duh she's the poster child of it during an interview at her home as she's discussing her story with the interviewer she has a little tiny parrot is one of her pets guy and he's a small small parrot he's the size of a parakeet he comes and he lands on her shoulder and he has a bit of an attitude problem so he lands on her shoulder and then just kind of screams at her and she just smiles at him and she just takes her prosthetic hook and she just gives him a little snuggle and just like kind of like you know fluffs his little feathers a little bit and you know he's kind of a little, little bit of an asshole but she said she appreciates his temper because she claims quote i've never indulged myself in anger and hate i wouldn't be here if i had and she even had set up from 1999 to 2018 she had what was called the mary vincent fund which sought to help victims of traumatic crime and as of 2018, it looks like that fund has been dissolved. And I'm not sure what it takes to dissolve that kind of thing. But just the fact that she had it in place for so long, I can't imagine how much that helped other victims uh-huh. of horrific crime. So we made it through to the end of the very first episode. And we truly hope that you enjoyed your time with us. If you did, please help us out with rating or review anywhere you get your podcasts and give us a follow on Instagram at FMU Podcast. You can also email us at fmupodcast at yahoo.com for comments, feedback, requests, recommendations. We also accept crock pot recipes and pet pictures. And we hope this episode fucked you the right amount of up. And here's your weekly reminder to get that next therapy session scheduled. Yeah. Physical health is not the only type of health to focus on. Yeah, you deserve a happy said. brain. Until next time.